This is the Strength Beyond Fitness Podcast. A Build Body Fitness production brought to you by Coach Louise and Coach Renee, where we talk about simple principles to train your mind, transform your body, and maybe even change your life. Hello, hello. Hi, friends. Welcome back to... The Strength Beyond Fitness <laughs> Podcast. Sorry, I was trying to adjust my chair there and like sit up nice and tall. Got to make sure my posture's good for this episode. Oh, and why is that? What makes this episode so special? Um, because it's a conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Coach. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Thanks. Our conversation today is one that we are basically seeing more. We're seeing. Okay, so if you if you see the if you see the title, it is basically trackers that are going to help you out within your fitness but do they always help you out so the pros and cons of fitness trackers we live in a time where there's so much technology that can help us but sometimes sometimes may it be hindering your results yeah or confusing you or maybe might be giving you false information Will we know? Will we know? Actually, yeah, let's go ahead and let's break down into it. So both of us have been users of different types of tech. I know I've used the Fitne- uh, Fitbit, Garmin. I have what's called a MyZone heart rate monitor, which you can attach both to your chest as well as your arm. We've used an in-body scan, very similar to an Evil. There's DECA. There's, you know, I'm sure there's a couple that are coming to your mind of different ways in which we're able to track and assess where our fitness is level at. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the almost almost every scale is now a smart scale. So every scale at home is usually a smart scale that will give you some data about your uh, lean muscle mass, your skeletal muscle mass. It'll give you some data about your water weight, some data about your body fat percentage. There are apps where you can track your your foods and your meals and your so, so you can know the amount of calories with carbs fats and and uh, proteins there are rings or uh, I'd say oh, there's, there's one ring it one, looks really one ring, cool but yeah I know, but there's multiple uh I, well anyways there's rings that track basically your sleep your st- your steps um it's called the o-ring aura ring aurora ring o-u-r-a aura yeah uh that track track everything that you do pretty much uh the new apple watch has updates that holy cow like it can even track a female's like menstrual cycle it's crazy it's it's, amazing yeah like it knows when you're on it based on how your heart rate is or something like that uh you know so their technology nowadays has almost anything and everything for you to track and receive data but that being said not all smart trackers are really that smart and i think our scale is actually a great example of that yeah we were so excited to get a really good deal on the cern brand of scale we got it we ordered it re- thought we researched it and then we compared it to an in-body scan and realized like okay these numbers are very different and with the in-body scan it scans basically your entire body so it scans from your feet scans from your hands so yeah, your extremities, your core, whereas this one was just measuring the legs. Yeah. And it's some information, but yeah, the point the the, the points where the electrodes are traveling through, they sh- when you when you do a scale and the scale is sending electromagnetic pulses throughout your body, it has to loop in a certain way. So when you do a scale that you're only standing on it the way it loops it through is through from one leg to the other. But it's really hard. Like if, if you know, 
your fingers are a dead end, your head is a dead end, all those different things. So the accuracy is not what truly like you need. It gives you a little bit of data, but it's not really consistent to or not consistent. It's not really accurate to the actual thing. So you got to understand like, okay, if I see, if I, if I step onto a scale right now and my scale or scale, and it's one of the smart ones and it'll tell me, you know, it'll tell me my weight, but then it tells me based on that weight, gives me a percentage of my water weight and it gives me a percentage of my skeletal muscle mass. And it's giving me, uh, I believe there's another number body fat percentage did i say that i think it was body fat percentage because i remember getting mad at it at one point (laughs) yeah uh and then i step onto the in body like you said they're going to be completely different and it is important to understand like how are you approaching those numbers and if you're wanting data what does that data mean to you also going to throw out there and this is i this is going to sound so common sense and there's probably going to be someone that's out there goes yeah 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 but Really, if you are trying to measure where you're at, you should try to keep it consistent. Don't use five different scales. Try to just stick to one scale so then you can accurately measure it. And so at the very least, like a pro of all these things is they're giving you some data. How accurate it is really depends on a plethora of factors, but where you can find consistency within that data and either progress or, you know, lose weight however you need. I want to break down first a really common one, especially when you're excited about a fitness journey, you're really starting to get into it. Um, The Fitbit, the Garmin, your activity tracker. And so initially, I actually got my activity tracker. It's called a MyZone. I got it through work. It was something they gave out. And what sold me on it was I did a workout that I was not ready for. I was way too caffeinated and anxious for. And my heart rate got up to 217. Yeah, it is crazy how high your your heart rate can get. And to give you an idea, if you're like, is that a bad thing? Take 220 and subtract your age. And when I, when I, you know, had that 217, I was 22. So definitely 217 was not a healthy range. And so I initially started using the fitness tracker as a way to monitor where my heart rate was. And so I'd bring up the app and see if I was in a safe zone. And that's been an awesome thing to help me learn how to focus in on my breathing, make sure my heart rate wasn't getting up too high. But then, of course, obviously there's the calories too. And, you know, I couldn't help but be like, wow, I burned X amount of calories. That's pretty cool. Does that mean I'm allowed to eat X amount of calories? Which if you don't know us, that's not type of language that we use anymore. But then you got, it's easy to get so lost in the calories or the steps that it's like, okay, you're just going to think, I burned a thousand calories today. I can eat a thousand calories and just a thousand calories. Or I had a client, bless her heart. She wore her my zone all day, every day when she was in office, when she was asleep, like this thing that was supposed to have like a, you know, a battery life for what? Six months, six, six months, six, six, eight months. She had to charge it after three weeks. And given like we had been using like an in-body body composition scan I had her BMR. I could have told her like, this is how many calories you're supposed to like eat. This is how many calories on average that your body needs. Nope. She, she wanted to wear her, my zone heart rate monitor and tell me she caught up on, she got caught up in the number on the numbers on the data. And there's times where those numbers can help you out. I'll, for example, I use the same, the same one because we come, we come from the same gym where they, it was big. It was a big part of it. And one thing I liked about it was the challenge aspect of if I did one workout one week, 
how I would compare it to the previous week. And I had times where that became a self-competition against myself. But then I had times where I was like, man, this week, my heart rate didn't go as high. I didn't burn as many calories. And I looked at it as like, I kind of failed during this workout, even though my, again, my heart rate didn't go as high because that's, you know, the higher the heart rate, technically, the more calories you begin to burn because it takes more work to pump blood through your entire body. So when it's taking these these measurements and it's looking at your heart rate being high, that's one factor. Uh, but the uh, it didn't help me out when I was like, oh, this this is like this is this worked out suck because I didn't meet meet or beat my uh, my your numbers, previous my previous numbers. But then I look at those workouts and I actually I was stronger. It's a good thing that my heart rate didn't go higher because that means my conditioning got better. It meant that now I was actually in a good place to either progress the workout or see like another week with it and see, okay, how I do. And maybe my heart rate might even be lower. And those are good, good signs. So there's different, there's a lot of different ways to look at those, uh, at those trackers. The different metrics. And you actually hit a point that I think would be interesting to talk about because there may be a listener out there that's thinking, so are you saying I shouldn't burn a ton of calories during a workout? Like what's, what's the ideal range of, you know, calories burned during a workout to make it effective. And the answer to that is really, it depends on what you're working on. Mm -hmm. Are you just trying to trash your body? Are you working on your endurance? And it's more than just the calories that you burn within a workout session. It's, you know, what does your muscle competition uh, composition look like? Like how many calories are you burning consistently? And that's Mm -hmm. what ties into BMR, your TDEE, And those are fun numbers in which we've been able to use body composition scales, which I absolutely love, but I do have to create boundaries around. I know for you, like you could probably do one every single week and it would not affect you mentally. It wouldn't. Whereas me, I have a limit of, I can only do it once a month, max, ideally every other month. Yeah. For me, my mindset, uh, it puts me in a place where I get competitive with myself or it just holds me accountable. I noticed it really depends on the person and what, you know, their relationship with fitness and health overall. But typically, you know, you know, those clients where you, you print it out, you let them see the scale, you let them see the number. And the first thing that they notice is I weigh this much and this is my body fat percentage. They won't see their muscles. They won't see, Hey, maybe their visceral fat is low. They will only see like the worst things mm-hmm. on there. And it's, interesting to where it's like you almost I feel like there's certain clients where I have to either be there physically or schedule a phone call right after they do it so I can kind of talk them through because so many times people will point out the actual worsening of it rather than like okay this is literally just data if we have something previous to compare awesome but it's like okay what is the data telling us because you're just seeing like oh I'm too fat I'm too skinny it's like no what else is there like how well are your joints supporting your actual body weight? Mm-hmm. Is your core actually strong? Are you even? That's my favorite thing to look at on those tra- uh, those scans is typically you'll see it a lot with, you know, moms of like there's one leg that's stronger than the other. Yeah, or shoulder, et cetera. And that's because how they carry their kids. And there's a, there's a lot of good data. And I think a uh, having a gu- someone to guide you it, on how to understand and how to read it. I will say one big reason we want to talk about this is because 
for example, you need to understand and, and uh, there's so many people sometimes want data, but one, they're not willing to accept it or they want data, but they want to hear like the best data. So an example is our, once again, our scale will actually say my, my body fat percentage is a lot lower because I, my legs are pretty lean. I carry most of my body fat right in my trunk, but my legs tend to be really lean. So it'll say, it'll tell me that my body fat percentage is low. So I can, you know, I'll look at that and I'm like, awesome. But if I do an in-body scan, the in-body scan takes everything in consideration. My arms, my legs, my trunk. It takes my visceral fat, which I don't see in, in our scale. But now that number is going to be higher. And sometimes we don't want to see that higher number and don't want to accept the truth. So you're like, I'm not going to do any of these. I feel great looking at the one at my house because it's telling me smaller numbers. But if that data is not right and you're just worried about those smaller numbers, how is that going to help you? So you got to jump into it and understanding why are you wanting to see this data and where, which area do you want to like put the focus in for our scale? I really just care about the weight and sometimes the water percentage because it's not, although it's not the water percentage from a whole body, just understanding like, okay, saying that I have a good water percentage for my legs, then I'm going to assume I'm actually doing really well through, throughout my whole body. I can take that assumption. That's so weird that it flips it. Cause I'm, I'm the opposite of that scale says that my body fat percentage is higher than the end body. Cause you got a big booty. I got a big booty. <laughs> um, for those who don't know too, kind of tying into visceral fat. Um, oftentimes there's a misconception, a misconception of what visceral fat is. It's often mixed up with the subcutaneous. So subcutaneous is the fat underneath your skin. You know, maybe it's that little, little roll on your belly that you don't feel super confident with. Whereas the visceral fat is what surrounds your organ. So, if you have time, Google visceral fat around heart, very different than, you know, the, the ones you're self-conscious about in your belly and your legs. And you can't look at someone and be like, you probably have a 20 visceral fat. It's, it's the sneaky fat, the ones that put you at higher risk for cardiovascular disease and other, other health elements like that. And so you just have to see those numbers on a scale of factors that contribute to your health. And it might not be for everyone. I know there's definitely been times in which I've had to take a break from the scale. I'll be honest, it happens more often than not to where if I notice myself getting too obsessed over a certain number, I'm focusing less on other non-scale victories. Mm. A great example is, you know, the body fat percentage of women are going to have a higher percent of body fat than men. And so when you have a different body fat percentage than me, when it gets lower, it's like that's frustrating, but there's so many other factors that you have to take into consideration to where I take a break from the in-body scale, even though that's a better scale than some others and I have to wait till I'm mentally ready to take it. And it's like, okay, I'm going to focus on non-scales. How is my energy? How is my sleep? How is my mental focus? And that's really a boundary that I have to set for myself. Whereas like I mentioned earlier, you have no problem weighing in every week because it doesn't have that same mental toll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's important to, again, if you're going to do it, like understand that it's going to help you. I, m the biggest thing with the, with scales is save your money when it comes to, if you see all these fancy things that it's of data, that's going to give you just remember if you're just stepping on it, it's going to be very, very like low accurate. And same thing with the ones that are just handheld. Exactly. So any, any anything that's just going to give you data based on one uh 
two points of contact, like standing on it or just holding it with your hands, nothing else, the data is going to be really inaccurate. So look for the part of the data that is going to help you the most and rec and help you recognize like what you need to do, whether it is something that you need to do to make a change because you're not achieving your goal or if it's like letting you know, hey, I'm, a, I'm, I'm maintaining, I'm sustaining what I want. I, I'm not going up. I'm not going down. This looks great. I'm liking it. And if that helps you out, then excellent. But save your money on those things. We got ours actually because one of our training platforms that we use this uh, scale links to it. So it was really nice to just step on it. And then the, the, the weight and other, some of the other numbers automatically went up to, uh, got uploaded to the, to the app that we use for training. I also want to tie into this because I know you have big feelings when it comes to how data is interpreted on those. Mm -hmm. And so at our previous gym, I know a big issue that we ran into a lot was how the sales reps bless our heart. This was how they were trained, how they would explain skeletal muscle mass and lean muscle mass. I mean, come on. Skeletal muscle mass is how much your skeleton weighs. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. So you can change that. You can actually change how much your skeleton weighs. How do you do that? <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. Skeletal muscle mass is not how much your skeleton weighs. But it's really crazy because that is actually what was being told to you. And I've seen it not just in a gym in a gym aspect where you go to gym and you do a scan from a machine that they have, but I've seen it at nutrition stores. I've actually also seen it at clinics that have to do with like weight loss or hormones or basically those health kind of clinics that are going to help you out, like boost energy and they'll Which, do a scan. Not all of those clinics are the same. There are some really great, you know, yeah, no, legitimate cl clinics yeah. out there. And then you have yeah, not Red Mountain where they just give you. <laughs> I was going to say not bashing on them, but except, yeah, except for that one. I, I'm going to bash on them. I was going to say, yeah, we're, we'll bash on that one. Where they're none. It's not scientifically. Yeah. Bad. So some of the information that they'll give you, you know, it's, it's not it's not accurate so they're selling oh yeah there's so much your skeleton weight so you don't have to worry about it but this is where your body fat percentage is at and it's really high and it's like no first of all th that's not what your skeletal muscle mass is second of all let's look at some other factors one thing that i really like to do do is see the ratio between water weight and total weight our bodies are made up of, of water our muscles ha are are made up of water a big portion of it over muscles more than 80 percent are made up of water so when i see that we actually have a high water weight percentage so you take your total weight and you divide it by your uh your water weight you get a percentage like if you're an athletic person living a really active life strength training all the time you should be somewhere within this low 60s mid 60s when you're just living a life trying to stay active doing good you might see the 58s 59s but some very often you're going to see smaller numbers and that just lets you know like overall some good information on averages learn looking at your current lifestyle if you want to achieve a more muscle a more active we need to start making changes so then water weight again is influenced by muscle so then you go look at muscle and there i can i can I love the in-body scan. I can actually go super deep into it, looking at many, many aspects of it, but I'm not because it's just going to take too long. But again, just letting you know, you want to look at more data and understand that the data is being told to you accurately. So 
humans are actually made closer to 60 to 75 percent water yeah not 80 percent no i said our muscles okay <laughs> yeah our muscles our our our, our, our muscles our, our muscle fibers are a, a, a good chunk of, of, uh, of are made up of water. A good about 80%. 70, maybe like 77. But if you strength train, if you are if you are actively strength training, you, you should have a much higher. So anyways, again, I just basically take a, a good average. True, true. Yeah. And so what are, what would you say are ways if say you find a triggers with using a skill, whether it is digital, what are ways that you've helped clients be able to see what their progress is without using a scale? Or have you ever had any step on the scale and just not show them the number? I've had a few clients that they've jumped in the scale and I learned later, not from the first time, I learned later after the second or third time that the number, like them looking at the numbers was not the best thing. So I looked at the numbers first, analyzed the data, broke the data down and then explained it to them. One thing I always want people to recognize, if you were looking for a good non-scale victory, if we're looking at the weight aspect of things, is joint pain. Your joints are gonna hurt significantly when you're put when when there is more load on them, so more weight on the joints and not enough muscle to support that. And the in-body scan is one of the few scans out there that allows you to know the percentage and what percentage you should be at. And that, and to this day, I've done probably over 100, probably 300 scans with clients between our old gym that we worked at and now with our current training system. Actually, both both previous gyms that we were at because they yeah. introduced it near the end with our previous one. Right, yeah, because we, we, we really pushed that um, because the data that their previous scale had was not as accurate. But anyways... I yet to have seen an in-body scan where I see the percentage of muscle versus uh, or the percentage of muscle mass within that joint or that that uh, segment. And if it is below it 100 percent and I just see it and I talk to them and I say I see it on the legs. Some do you experience hip or low back pain quite often before them telling me I see I asked them and it's yes, every single time. Oh yeah, I, I'm all, my hips are always hurting. My, my, or they're like, my knees are always hurting. And I'm seeing it because the, the embody gives you that data. And to me, that data is more important than anything else. Cause now I know exactly where I need to focus with that person or tell them like, Hey, like you, this is so important for you because we want your joints to feel better. All right. Look at it another way versus just losing weight. No, we, you need this for your personal joints. You don't, nobody wants to wake up with back pain, knee pain, hip pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, elbow pain, all those things. And the contributing factor for it is that, is that pressure is their weight and then not enough muscle to, to support it. It is really interesting to see what people point out when you just show them the scan or when you have them take their weight, like kind of see how their reaction is because it'll tell you a lot. Even, I feel like nowadays people are almost afraid to admit if they want to work for weight loss because we live in a time with body positivity, body neutrality. And while there is beauty in both, it is okay to admit like that you want to lose weight so you feel better. But it's always interesting that weird reaction of like, do they want to say something and kind of having to talk them through. Mm -hmm. And I like that you give that very specific thing of like, 
these are factors, but these are also things to pay attention to. Cause then it ties into less of like, here's a number, but here's like a feeling that you can physically recognize. Mm-hmm. And that's important to rec- to see within training of what other benefits are you getting? Like, it's really cool if you're losing weight, but it's also going to be really cool if say you're able to get out of bed without having your back hurt. If you're able to walk upstairs without having your knees hurt as much. And that's why like, again, if you, if you, if you've listened to the early episodes, you've heard that we're not weight loss coaches. And it's not that we don't want to help you lose weight. It's that if you're coming to us just with the mindset of only losing weight, you're going to end up having a really difficult time understanding why I am more passionate about, you know, your, your, your joint strength and your mobility over the weight loss. You're going to have a really hard time with it. So, we're, we we do help people lose weight, but when you come with us just with with the mentality of only losing weight, these little things that are gonna become more sustainable are gonna be difficult to like apply or get excited about. And sometimes your journey like will will end really quickly because you're preferring to just go and do all the things that need to be done to lose more weight, and it can actually affect your body negatively as well i've seen people lose weight really fast and have a lot of joint pain because now they've lost it but they're trying to load themselves through a workout with heavier weights and you're you're nowhere near it it's like taking a vehicle that's not meant to um that's not meant to sustain a like a like a a towing power and then you, you you put a trailer in the back of it and now it's all sunk and it's just trying to like work old like overdrive It's just, it's not a good plan. I actually had, I was talking with a client earlier today and it was kind of exciting because when she first met me, she was very focused on, she wanted to lose weight. She wanted to lose weight. Um, We ended up having, we took a break from training just due to a bunch of different things. And when she came back, her mindset was, I just want to feel better. And if I happen to lose weight, that'll be awesome. And so with the training, we mainly focused on strength training, getting her consistent with eating better foods. We didn't create any harsh restrictions. And it was kind of cool because I had her redo her physique photos. It was a couple months later. She was really nervous about doing it. And she noticed like a decent transformation that her waist was looking smaller. Her hips were looking smaller, but in a proportional way. She was looking back on like my form is getting better. And she was able to acquire that weight loss but I think it's because we took a break from the scale and she focused on just moving. She focused on the habit that she was able to notice the difference so much more. Whereas I noticed when you're too close and you're like, I only want weight loss. I only want this number because the number on the scale is the same right now for her, but her physique is different. Mm-hmm. And she, I don't think she would have been as open to it. And I think one thing was now we can tie this into those, uh, the activity trackers. Cause I know one thing that she was big into was tracking her rings on the Apple watch. And that is, that is something where like, if you're putting too much focus in it, too much focus in it, and you know, you're not meeting your rings. It might be very, um, what's the word? Uh, discouraging. discouraging. So for her, we not saying that an Apple Watch to track your rings is not a good thing, but you got to know how to apply it. And I think now she's, she's been applying, much it, better. applying it with steps. She and does it with steps. And then she also tracks, like, she does the heart rate thing. She won't, she knows where her calories are at, but that doesn't determine how much she eats. And that's a, 
that was a big change. Exactly. So sometimes there's so much that those things can track. Let's look at the ones that might help you out at the beginning or not the beginning, but to, to make, to, to maintain a really good path of sustainability. So again, she's looking at her steps now and I think the steps are wonderful. And maybe once she gets really good with the steps, now we can start looking at other things within those trackers. The my zone belt is such a good belt because it uh it allows you to not just see your calories and your heart rate but it allows you to see different zones where you're training at allows you to know like okay if i am doing a strength workout i don't need to go balls to the wall like a cardio workout i can stay within a different zone and if you learn that like if you understand it and learn it then it becomes very beneficial because I saw a lot of clients who felt like we were doing a strength session, but they needed to be in the yellows and the reds, which are sort of the high zones. That means that you're taking your heart rate to a peaking point where it doesn't really need to be there for that current session that you're doing. They're often called the quote fat burning zone, the fat burning zones. And then there are studios like uh, Orange, Orange Theory. Theory that do that as well. So that you go to a workout there and all you're focusing sometimes is like where zone you're on. Um, I'll use the example of cycle bar. I'll throw that out there. I'm an instructor in Gilbert. So if you want to come to a class, let's party in the dark with loud music. But they have a few different class formats that I've grown to appreciate each and every one. There's one that is called Connect, and that one has absolutely no cycle stats. And sometimes that's what I need. I need to cover the monitor. I just want to feel like, okay, am I focusing on heavy? Am I focusing on form? And then the other formats involve what's called cycle stats. So you can see the average of the room with power and RPM, or you can have a contest. And it's interesting to kind of see the shift. There's some days where it's like, even if I'm in one of those other classes, I'll still cover the monitor because in the moments, like I don't need to know how many gears that I have on. I just need to feel that I'm pushing. And other days where I'm like checking the person next to me and be like, if they're going to hit 13 miles and you better believe I'm going to hit 13 miles. And so it's like, there's different mindsets too of there's some days where I need that competition and I need that activity other days where I need to connect. And it really comes down to understanding what body did I wake up with today? Where did I wake up mentally and how can I push myself to feel my best? Cause that's the other part too, is activity trackers aren't necessarily going to tell you like, is this workout going to make you feel trash or is it going to feel energized? Mm-hmm. I can look back and see there's, you know, several workouts where I burned a thousand calories, but I didn't notate on there if I felt good after them. Well, I've talked to people that uh, do cycle classes and I w- I've asked them like, what, what are they say? Oh, I hate though. I, I don't, can't do these cycle classes. They're the worst. And sometimes I'm like, what do you mean they're the worst? There's a bunch of freaking music that is loud and you got some crazy psycho on a bike. Like, yeah, maybe you don't do well with the screaming at you part, but hey, cycle classes are freaking fun. But then they say, I just can't keep up with like what the instructors said. They're saying to be at, 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 a, at a level seven and I'm doing everything possible and I'm past the level seven on the, on the, on the, on the monitor or like, oh, they're telling me something and I'm, it's just too easy too not too easy. Like they'll say a gear, a specific gear being 10. Um, and like the 10 is too easy for them. So almost like those stats ruin the experience. And I really want someone to understand that you shouldn't let all these like electronic things, these apps, these uh, 
all these gadgets ruin your experience. I think one that can ruin experiences quite often are meal trackers. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Oh, okay. This is your zone. Okay. Take over. I'm going to drink a sip of my Red Bull. So activity trackers. Now I'm going to be blunt. I have used my fitness pal. I do have some feelings against them about, you know, creating a paywall. So if you want to take that off, that would be great because that was a ridiculous upgrade. But my fitness pal, I've seen people do great on it and I've seen people struggle mentally. Weirdly enough, my fitness pal is something that I use when I'm more anxious because it helps me remember to eat. Um, I've had years in which I've been able to find where my proper macros are at. And for those who don't know, macros is basically your protein, your fats, your carbs. You find a certain percentage or maybe you have specific grams and ounces that you're supposed to hit each and every day. Maybe you go by the average. My fitness pal is one of many trackers that used to be free completely <laughs> that you are able to see where your food is at. And for someone like me who gets really anxious to the point where like I don't recognize hunger cues, that was a great way of seeing, okay, I, this is how much I'm supposed to eat. This is where I'm at. There's these meals that I typically go to. I'm going to plug those in. I'm going to eat those and I'm going to feel better. That's worked really well for me. I've had people on the other side where they've been very adamant of, I need my macros. Tell me my macros. And then they start tracking and they either get caught up in, okay, shoot, I ate too many calories or I don't know how to track this. I don't know how to do that to where they get so overwhelmed by the details that they shut down. Or then, well, here's the thing. When they, when you usually on a, on a, on an app like that, when you just input, you know, you download the app, it tells you, okay, follow the steps. How old are you? Uh, how active you are, your height, etc. And then it's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to lose one pound a week, seven pounds a week? Like, it's just ridiculous. And you put it, and then it gives you a a number that you need to follow. It's like it's the, the app usually generates one for you. Oh so then gosh. they're like, "Oh, this is awesome! I can meet this. This is great. I can stick to it because it's a low. It's like thirteen hundred calories or something." But then you have a coach help you out and give you the numbers that you need. And then it's like twenty three hundred calories, twenty four, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is so much! I can't do it because the experience." prior to having a coach was like, oh, you just eat very, very little. And now you have a coach and this tool that is really can give you some really great data, help you out. Now it's becoming like, can be a burden or you get caught up on like, how do I track it? I'm trying to find, and you know, there's so many options when I Google, when, when I search chicken breast or am I supposed to do it raw? Am I supposed to do it cooked? And it can be overwhelming. Yeah. I'm trying so hard not to fume right now because I, I get so mad about the initial setup when you're using that or lose it. And it's like, I want to lose two pounds a week in which Luis has created this phenomenal um, macro calculator. macro calculator that we use exclusively with our macro clients and which it's like what it actually takes to lose two pounds a week sustainably and keep it off requires so much mm -hmm. and the deficit that they put you into doesn't really take into consideration anything it just creates this really hard thing to maintain to the point where it's okay yes it's calories in versus calories out but if you're under eating for x amount of time more than likely you're going to hit a point where you're like i'm actually hungry so typically what you're going to see with a lot of people is during the week they're going to eat as little as possible try to stay underneath that 1000 and then once that hunger hits maybe in a social situation and they go mm -hmm. over then they're like why am i not losing weight it's 
you create a deficit that's way too low. Or another common misconception is the calories in versus calories out. If I don't eat, I'm not, I'm just going to lose weight. You know what? There's also other organs that are relying on you properly fueling your body. And so trigger warning, when people think about anorexics, it's not just that they're skinny, it's their liver doesn't function as well. Their kidneys are struggling. Mm -hmm. It's not just them losing weight. There's other organs that are relying on your fuel. So when you think about your basal metabolic rate, that is your BMR, that is how many calories your body needs just to exist. That's it. Just exist. Then you take into consideration how active you are and like, yeah, maybe you are able to just eat a thousand calories and do your workout but it's like how's the rest of your body actually functioning is your hair falling out a great example is you look at someone's nails and it's like okay are you actually able to take in the nutrients is your body taking it if your hair is falling out if your nails are breaking that's your body trying to give you a signal something doesn't feel right so with all that like how do you look into a nutrition tracker to help you out so and and how and, and how do you become almost like best friends with it so the first thing first is to be able to recognize where you're currently at. So too often we're like, I need to be at this standard. I need to be right here. And it's, I would say, just track your current foods. It doesn't have to be in a tracker. You can write it down in a journal. You can take pictures of it and see where's your current average and then make some tweaks from there. Because when I first started tracking, that was really hard. And my initial mistake was, you know, I had the mindset of if it fits in your macros and that turned into, I'm going to have two protein shakes a day and I'm going to also have this protein bar and then I'm going to have plain chicken with oatmeal. And it was like, technically I'm hitting my macros, but also like there are all these other micronutrients that I'm lacking. Like, why aren't we even looking at fiber? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm skinny, but I don't really have the energy that I want compared to, okay, how can I find other ways to get my protein in that isn't just through supplementation? Because I'm going to throw this out there. Supplementation is not the same as a replacement. There is a time and a place, but if you can't hit your certain protein without supplementation, then you kind of might need to look at what are ways you need to adapt. Um, A big mistake that I made when I first got into nutrition years ago was I set a protein level way too high for one of my clients. And so she was eating like three cans of tuna a day where it's like she was technically hitting her protein, but it's like she had all these other nutrients that were lacking. Yeah. And to tie this back, the biggest thing is recognize where your current patterns are and slowly ease into tracking. But if you are going to track, do it correctly. Don't say like, okay, I can technically mark that I did an hour of housework. So the app said that I burned X amount of calories. Like Mm -hmm. be honest about your activity that you put in. And if you are going to track, the best way to do it is, get a food scale and track in either ounces or grams. Cause I guarantee you, if you just take a teaspoon of peanut butter, compare that to the actual serving ounces on the label, they're going to be way different. And it's going to be really off because that teaspoon is not going to weigh near the grams that it is basically comparing a teaspoon to. Or even the common misconception that we have of what do you consider to be a few? What yeah. do you consider to be several? Whenever my nutrition clients tell me he had, oh, I had a couple of chips. Like, what is a couple? Because to me, a couple is two. To someone else, a couple may be five. And it's not necessarily that you have to bring everything to a T. It's just creating more awareness and more mindfulness. And that's where the app can help. I had one of my clients who were slowly easing her onto macros. And so last week, we started having her track everything in the app. And she noticed, she's like, wow, I eat a really low amount of calories. I'm like, girl, 
I've been telling, telling you, you that, that for two months. <laughs> but now that you see the actual data of you've been eating too low, I love this. I love that that was the the, vis- uh, the visual connection that you finally needed to make this jump. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will also throw out there, and this is, you know, might be kind of frustrating, is sometimes there are nutritional labels that can be inaccurate. I want to say it was Sarah Bomar of Bomar Nutrition who got under fire, I want to say a couple of years back because some of her proteins were, I think like 5% off, which may not seem like a big deal, but 5% adds up over time. Ask a pilot. Right. 5%. Right. Degrees. Like all that. It all, it all makes a huge change, especially if you believe so much in the product. So like I, I believe in this so much and I'm going to consume it quite often, you know, being 5% and you're having this every single day, it adds up. It'll add up. And there may be someone that just heard this and is like, how dare you insult Sarah Bomar? <laughs> I know she's taking accountability for it and, and I she's mean, made updates. Yeah. And, and you know what? If it wasn't her, then we are so sorry for putting your name out there. Sorry, Sarah. But. I don't think you actually <laughs> listened to this. But when it comes to those apps, uh, I think nutrition one is rare that those, those calorie ones that you can track are very important. And my biggest advice is one, when you, when you approach it, try to have a little bit of understanding of some nutrition. Like don't just jump into it with no background information or even habits, build up some habits, some awareness before you even start tracking and then start tracking what you're currently doing and see how in a database, in a data way, how that looks. Second, it is so easy to search like, let's say a mac and cheese, an example that you make, but you threw away the box and you you didn't wait. It is so easy to put mac and cheese and look for the lowest calorie one and say, this is the one I had. I so did that so much when I first started macro counting. Exactly. So don't do that. Try to be as honest as possible. Honestly, sometimes even shoot for the highest one. If you don't know exactly the information because you threw it away, you had it at a friend's house, you went to a restaurant, I promise you, you're going to, it's going to be better if you go for the kind of the highest one that you're a little bit uncomfortable accepting, because that's going to help you be like, I need to get my A game on my tracking and, you know, have a little bit more awareness. I will put this out there. When I started tracking more within macros, it made me want to either one, home cook things so much more. Or to really research things before I went out. So you already know I'm in the habit of I research a menu. Which I think that's the weirdest thing. But now I understand You get it, it now. <laughs> I search up a menu before I go anywhere. That being said, you never know what cook is in the kitchen. So, you know, the Olive Garden pasta that you get one day may be different than the other. Right. So it's that's where it's saying there is still use in tracking. Just know there's going to be some variance. There's not it's not possible to perfectly track something but at least to increase the awareness that's where these trackers are phenomenal creating the awareness but not at risk of your mental health right and then third the last one is most of those trackers have some form of notification for a streak meaning like you're in a three-day streak you're in a four-day streak you're in a five-day streak i recommend you turning that notification off and the reason why is we in we enjoy the praising of being in a st- on, on a streak. We don't enjoy when it's like, oh, you lost your streak. And I'll use that in comparison really quickly to the my zone. 
So the MyZone has something called MyZone um, uh, Effort Points. And the more you build up over time, over months, you get put on, on in a new in a new kind of um, zone, not zone, but in a new tier, I guess you could call it. And the more consistent you are, that tier elevates and it's based on by month. There's been times where I've gone without wearing my MyZone belt. Not that I've gone without exercising, without wearing it. And I didn't meet my 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 expected points to sustain my tier, my streak. And then I got downgraded. And in order to get upgraded again, I had to be back on like a 12-month streak. To me, that became discouraging, even though I knew I was putting in the work. And sometimes it became so discouraging that I was like, I don't even want to wear this belt anymore. Because I just gotta I'm just to think about trying to build that back up is so annoying. So the same thing is with those nutrition trackers. When it's like, oh, you're in a 10-day streak. You're about to get the gold medal of, or whatever. And then you lose it and you're like, oh, I'm so, I don't even want to track anymore because it's so frustrating now that I didn't even get it. So try to eliminate that. And you know what? If you're really good at it and you're like, no, I, I, I'm good with the streaks and that helps me out and that motivates me. And I, I hit my goals because of it. Then you know what? Awesome. Right I'll here. actually tie into that because I'm on Duolingo. You know I do lingo you every do single lingo. day. I do lingo. And I'm currently on a 190-day streak, I believe. But you know what? In order to maintain that streak, there's definitely days where I put in the most minimal, useless effort or I try to do something to where it's mindless and I'm not actually retaining any information. And that's where it's like the streak, technically, like I've been on the app for 190-ish days. That is awesome. But it's how much am I learning within that time? How much effort am I actually putting in? Yeah, it's great that I opened it, but then you can take the same idea between the streaks of what are you actually putting out there? Are you maintaining the streak because of the streak because you just want to, you know, have that title or it's because you're trying to have purpose behind it? Mm -hmm. That being said, I'm still 190 (laughs) days on Duolingo. Yeah, so those are my recommendations. And this, this goes for almost, again, any, any app, widget, that helps you out within the fitness industry or not industry, but within the fitness and health life. Understand a really good balance with it. Look for the data that that you feel like it's going to help you. Don't get overwhelmed with everything that it's giving you. Also try to recognize the flaws that it might have. And if there are flaws, are you, is that going to, is that going to, uh, affect. Is it going to throw you off? Exactly. Is it gonna I refuse throw you to off? use our home scale because I don't like how much it differs from the in-body. The only scale that I'll use to check like my percentages is just the specific in-body scale because I need that consistency. I know it'll throw me off. Whereas you, you can use any scale and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So it's what's going to help you actually progress forward, but you know, taking ownership of your results as well. So smart scales, uh, heart rate monitors, and what was the last one? Uh, nutrition trackers. They have a time and a place. They're great tools as long as they're actually helping you move forward. Thank you guys for listening and cheers. Stay golden. Stay golden.